The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Greetings and salutations, I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his annoying neighbour from just down the road, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 105 of The Big Picture for the week beginning May the 1st. And coming up on today's show, Atlanta, is it TV's most strangely challenging show? Plus, we take a closer look at the case for Christ. The movie, is it any good? We will find out, gentlemen, later in this program. We're also going to find out my top five movies that I've never seen and I really know that I should have seen. And I'm going to be embarrassed (laughs) admitting it in public, but I'm still going to admit it for your Pretty much your laughs. I love, the, I, I love the idea that a professional reviewer is going to tell you, actually, I haven't seen The Lord of the Rings yet. <laughs> That's <laughs> not, so on the list. not on the list. Okay. Have to wait Sam, till welcome show. to you. Hello, Thank Sam. Thank you. Good to see you. I'm, I, I wonder if you'll have a job next week, Ben. <laughs> and we'll see welcome what happens. To our, welcome to our national audience, too. It's, it's just great to be stretching across both Sydney and Brisbane now and adding more stations soon. Yeah, this great show where we review movies and TV from a Christian perspective with blokes who have been around movie reviewing and TV reviewing for a long time, me and Mark. But as you'll hear later in the show, there are a number of movies that I haven't actually seen. It's a fact, gentlemen. I can't watch everything, but there are some massive movies I haven't seen that right. will be a bit shameful to admit. Well, let's find out what's happening at the, at the cinema this week. What's coming out in movies, Ben? Well, what's the cinemas at the moment is another movie I haven't seen, but Mark has seen it. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He released, he reviewed it on the show last week. Go to thebigpicturewebsite.com to check out Mark's thoughts on it. But in a nutshell, he loved it. Guardians yep. of the Galaxy Volume 2 is out now. Now, and then coming this Thursday, a movie that I know you guys have been waiting pretty much your entire lives for, <laughs> A Dog's Purpose. Mm. And it seems to be a family movie about a dog who has various lives, thanks to reincarnation, and is on the sniff for more meaning in his many lives. A Dog's Purpose at cinemas this Thursday. That's a true film. That actually exists. Really? I'm a cat's person. Okay, anyway, uh, let me tell you about what's happening on TV. (laughs) Now, listen, this is an interesting Netflix original documentary is actually on from May 5 this week, Uh, The Mars Generation, okay? So this documentary first premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. It follows a group of young kids who went to NASA to take part in an experiment, but also looks ahead to the Mars missions that are actually scheduled to take place in the next few decades. You know, they line these things up decades ahead Mm. in advance, so you can even know where we're going. It features Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse, as in Neil deGrasse Tyson, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is in it. That, that yeah. fancy, wealthy, money-making yes, guy. Who's, that guy. That guy who's clearly funding his own space program. <laughs> and also sounds like a Bond villain. And it puts kids through <laughs> their paces in simulated environments. That's what I'm there for, just to see how kids cope with a foreign planet. Um, also on Channel Ten, it's back with more Jamie Oliver goodness. You Jamie just, Oliver's back. You just can't get enough of this fellow. Oh my goodness! His new series, Jamie's Superfood Family Classics. Superfood Family Classics. <laughs> yeah, I know. This, someone was thinking of something short and tight, clearly. Um, <laughs> Tuesday, 7.30pm, Jamie's on a mission to freshen up our family favourites, ensure they're packed with goodness and nutritionally balanced and, of course, super achievable, which is the main thing. It'll all be lovely jubbly. Uh, you can get back <laughs> and see Jamie and see what he does with your family favourites. The main, uh, So the man is becoming an institution. What can I say? Super. All right. Well, let's get to true or false. Yes, gentlemen. Uh, this is a bit of a pointer to a review that's coming up later in the show, The Case for Christ. La- on last week's show, we interviewed Lee Strobel, the author of The Case for Christ. If you mm. missed that, go to thebigpicturewebsite.com, check it out. We're about to review the movie, though, a bit later in the show. But to get us there, I thought we might think a little bit about uh, some actors who have played the role of Jesus on screen. And in particular, 
who was offered the role of Jesus in the Passion of the Christ but rejected it? So, oh, okay, that would be which a bit one of, a of these actors was actually offered the role? Was it Jake Gyllenhaal, mm. Daniel Day Lewis, Russell Crowe, or Keanu Reeves? One of those actors. Oh, I would have wanted it to be Keanu Reeves. One of those actors. <laughs> Back was, in the nineties, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> one Long of them, hair. honestly, was offered the role. We will find out a little bit later on. All right. Well, have you ever heard of Childish Gambino? I have. Yeah. Big fan. I'm a big fan. I actually am a big fan. Are you? He also okay. goes You're by the fan. name Donald Glover as well. Now, I know him now. Yeah, you know yeah, him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, he is the actor best known for TV show uh, Community. He uh, also goes by the name of Childish Gambino when he gets his hip-hop on. But he's not also everyone, done... Not everyone knows about his hip-hop, Sam. Not everyone is down no. Childish Gambino like you are. Exactly. Well, if you don't know Donald Glover, you're probably over 25. Oh, well. And you've probably <laughs> never heard of his Golden Globe winning TV series Atlantis. So, for what you kids are watching segment this week Ben visited Atlanta and encountered a happening place of everyday strangeness and some deep insight as well hey yo you heard that new paperboy mixtape that's my cousin you gonna want to get in there before he gets signed man so suit you want in on paperboy what no please man we do this right your kids can live good my kids can live good so chaps uh, atlanta i knew you heard about this think late last year uh it, it won some golden globes earlier in the year for being best comedy show and also donald glover won for best actor uh, he created this show and directs some episodes writes different episodes stars in every episode uh, i heard about it because I, I read a review that had this line that's been sticking with me. it's almost like haunting my dreams this line of this show that the the reviewer was saying it's like Seinfeld meets David Lynch. Now if you oh, if gosh. you've encountered any either mm, of those two properties mm. and I presume most people have heard of Seinfeld maybe some some might be less familiar with David Lynch but if you know either if you know either of those and if you can imagine somehow meeting in the middle Atlanta is almost that show, but not quite. I, I think that review was a little bit like trying to find fancy words to summarize this show, but that, that it's a reasonable assessment. Uh, Donald Glover plays Earn, this guy kicking around at ladder. Um, he's he's pretty poor, trying to trying to make it. Uh, he's basically trying to get on the bandwagon of his cousin, who's Alfred, aka Paperboy, who's played by Brian Ty- Tyree Henry, who's an up and coming rapper, or at least he's trying to be up and coming. And Atlanta kind of follows their their adventures of trying to make it, but gets stranger from that point, though. I, I hadn't heard about this, too, uh, until it sort of flipped up on the Golden Globe radar. Uh, but you seem to be hooked. Mate, I, I am. Yeah. I am. So it's on SBS On Demand. You can watch all 10 episodes of the first season. Look, a, a word of warning. It's rated M. Um, as you can imagine, given us about some rappers, uh, there's some strong language and some strong themes in this, um, occasional sex scenes or allusions to sex. But by and large... It's reasonably tame. They're only 20-minute episodes, so you can really digest this show fast. Uh, I think I'm hooked because it starts out really quite slowly and you're just watching, like Seinfeld, you're watching the show about nothing, really, just some guys trying to you know, get by and do their thing. But the longer it goes along, it becomes... It does become a strange beast that is difficult to summarize what exactly is going on with Atlanta. But I think what the show is trying to do is capture a group of people at a particular time, but then also bleed out into bigger social issues that are happening as well. Everything from uh, what it takes to you know be a, a good dad or a, a good a good uh, uh, partner to 
issues to do with transgender, to do with racism, to do with inequality between men and women. All of that bubbles up through Atlanta as well. Wow. Okay, so Earn's your main character. Yep. Right? What sort of role model is he? Is this the sort of thing? I mean, this is in our What Your Kids Are Watching segment, so kids are into it. Should we be thinking about it? Yeah, look, I picked it this week because I reckon the kids are watching this and and – off the back of Donald Glover and the fame that he's had, particularly through Childish Gambino, but also through Community. Um, and, and Atlanta's got a similar vibe to Community the longer it goes along. In If you've ever seen the show Community and you'll know that some episodes were deliberately different to all the other episodes, Atlanta starts doing that the longer it goes along. As you see Earn unfold across this, though, he's pretty constant uh, in terms of his character and the way he's presented. No, he's not really a role model, but he's also a nicely flawed individual that you can kind of get behind as well. One of the episodes that really hooked me is probably around three or four where he's having a conversation with uh, the mother of his child um, it's not his wife not really his partner but they're kind of together and he's banging on about wanting to follow his dreams and how if he doesn't follow his dreams he can't be a good dad to their daughter because they're effectively holding him back and stifling him but he says it in a much better way than what i just did he actually kind of solves it nicely but his kind of partner van basically just comes out and shoots him down. Like just says, that's ridiculous. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And that's what, that's what I think is what started getting me about Atlanta is it's actually willing to put up some ideas and notions that are out there about what it would take to make it or be yourself or live your dream or whatever it is. Like, and, and, and you know, hip hop environment's quite a good one for showing this. At the same time, it, it, it often knocks down some of these ideas as well as Really? Like, is that actually a good idea? Like, should we be following this kind of belief? It's great. Now, if older teens are watching Atlanta, do you think they're going to stick around through some of these kind of slower or stranger bits you mentioned maybe earlier? Maybe not. Maybe not. But I really hope they do because somewhere around, I think it's episode seven or eight. My goodness. One of the best TV episodes I've seen for a long time. Standalone episodes. Just singular episodes. Ah comes around I think number eight and it is this amazing it's a creation of a talk show the whole episode is on a talk show and it's about uh, some lyrics of paper boys and how he's having a go it seems like at uh, a very famous transgender person in the states but from there the rest of the the episode goes into the tolerance of intolerance or the intolerance of tolerance or it actually kind of has a go at whether you whether it is freedom of speech or not whether you can actually say your opinion or are you going to get shot down for saying it if it's not the broad opinion that's coming into this and there's even a hilarious character who's transracial who's a guy who's african-american but thinks he's white and so at that point atlanta is having such an amazing crack at the world that we live in at the moment in terms of how far can we push this individual belief in who i am and who i say that i am and i think often christians are the ones that feel like oh we're at the forefront of this and we're claiming all these truths and no one else has the right to do it atlanta demonstrates that there are plenty of people out there who may not claim to be christian Mm. but also recognize that as much as we say we're tolerant Often we're not. If you can get through the slower and stranger bits of Atlanta, you will be hugely rewarded by, I think it's about episode eight. Amazing. Okay, well, Atlanta stars Donald Glover, Brian Tyree Henry, and Lakeith Stanfield. I love that guy's name. The whole first season is available right now via SBS On Demand, but go to episode eight, and it's rated M. That's right. Now, gentlemen, true or false time, which of these actors was considered for the role of Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, but they rejected it? Jake Gyllenhaal, Daniel Day-Lewis, Russell Crowe, or Keanu Reeves? I want it to be Keanu Reeves yeah, just so, so Jesus would say, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants it to be Keanu Reeves. That's false. Daniel Day-Lewis, surely he's the most likely mm. contender out of all that list. 
just the fact that he's Oscar bait oh, and he's wow. so method performer and all that. Daniel Day Lewis was offered the role. Oh wow, that would have been epic. I mean, it was great anyway. <laughs> okay. Coming up on the big picture, an inspirational soundtrack choice from surprise movie hit Lion. And we'll also be letting you know whether the case for Christ is worth investigating at cinemas. Welcome back to the show. And now we're up to our soundtrack segment for this week. And this week marks the release of Lion on Blu-ray and DVD, that life-affirming tale of an Indian boy who's separated from his family, becomes lost in the slums of Calcutta, until a Tasmanian Christian couple adopt him and give him a new home. And then Google Earth steps in and helps him out with a way back to his birth mother. Thank you, Google. Well, we thought there'd be no better way of celebrating such a top release than by making it a focus of our soundtrack segment and playing Sears Never Give Up.
Never Give Up, a song by Sia from the soundtrack of Garth Davis-directed film Lion. Now, we've already talked about one comedy with a difference, Atlanta, on the small screen, and now it's time to turn the focus on another unusual source of laughs arriving on the big screen. It's called Free Fire. It's a small-budget, star-studded production about an arms deal that goes drastically wrong between the IRA, a collection of Boston criminals, and a South African gunrunner. Yes, that's a film. (laughs) Can you laugh at people getting shot up? That's the question we've got. And... Can we also learn a valuable lesson at the same time? Well, Mark's about to tell us how. It's good to meet you, boys. Thanks for coming out. Let's buy some guns, eh? So, what do you say we check out the merch? That's not what he ordered. They ordered M16s? Really? I'm not running a pizza delivery service. Don't shoot the deal's off! Ah! I've been shot! Oh, now we're cooking! If you're familiar with offbeat black comedies like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels or Layer Cake, Pulp Fiction, Fargo, that sort of stuff, well, Free Fire is in the same vein. It's a 1980s sort of suave setup where Mr. Ord, played by Army Hammer... Army Hammer. Army Hammer. The fantastically named Army Hammer. I know. I, it's just That guy <laughs> should actually get an Oscar just for his name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's broken an arms deal between the IRA on one side and a South African gunrunner on the other. They meet in an abandoned warehouse that's now full of weapons with the most uh, amazing characters, all sorts of dysfunctional sort of habits, and something is just going to go wrong. Someone makes a random comment about someone's sister, uh, and all hell breaks loose. Um, When two random characters suddenly sort of open fire on each other, that's when the drama begins. Now, you were just comparing Free Fire to, if I'm remembering this correctly, a Pulp Fiction, Fargo, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Now, that would suggest that this film may come with some upfront warnings to to some viewers that may be particularly sensitive to issues around violence and language, Absolutely. I'd imagine. Absolutely. Uh, look, guys, if you are one of those people who would be thinking, look, I, I, I want to tone my films down. I don't necessarily like that sort of language and things like that. Or, you know, I would like to say that it is definitely appropriate to the characters, but it can be a bit thick. Uh, and so in which case then, yeah, you'd be cautious of this. Also, there's a lot of violence because, let's face it, the plot is a bunch of people stuck in a room with semi-automatic weapons. Okay, so there's going to be a lot of that going on. Um, but, you know, strangely, um, it's got a kind of a comic book feel to it. Uh, a sort of a, the criminal activities just go crazily wrong because the criminals themselves are fools. And that that's what the comedy actually relies on for a whole bunch of reasons. And the shoot-up that follows lasts for 90 minutes. A 90-minute gunfight. A 90-minute gunfight. And from a scriptwriter's point of view, I would have gone, wow. I would have stared at the pages for ages trying to work out how to make that work. But it's... It works. It's pretty amazing. And you consider essentially we're in one room. You don't even have much detail. And everybody's pinned down. So they're even hardly moving. Mm. And yet you still actually get quite an interesting film out of it. But how? Like, how can you actually keep... How how can you keep a plot going, which is... Go back to the bit where it's 90-minute gunfight. Yeah, well, basically, they use the stress of the situation to reveal truths about the characters mm. involved. So there's one moment where, you know, like um, one character says to another, um, he says they're yelling things out to each other, even as they're trying to shoot at each other. And one guy picks up, what, you mean you're a recovering alcoholic? And he says, 
yes. And he goes, me too. And like, and before you know it, they're having this conversation about their alcoholism over the fire. And that fire. works? Like, it's not it, too it stupid? Weirdly, it's not- no, it weirdly does. And then you find other things about the characters themselves. So, like, Frank is one particular character. And even though he's a really hard IRA man, he's really going to stand by, you know, his nephew, um, who's a, even though his nephew's a junkie and an idiot, and he's involved in this room. Um there's the the key character Vern, who's the South African drug dealer. Gosh, um, he comes up with phrases like Vern and learn. Okay, no. hey. <laughs> and as you watch him, you realise that you know the one characteristic about fools is they always think they're wise. You know, so there's lots of little moments in amongst the film where you realise there's some real human traits coming out. Isn't Brie Larson in this movie and Brie Oscar Larson. winner for Room? And then that, that, I think it's Kong Skull Island. She's like just in cinemas. Got, she's got like, off Skull Island. She's got off she's, Skull Island. She's headed to Boston. And that, and is she like the only woman in this movie? She's the only woman in the film, and she really does give the entire cast a run for their money you know it's it's quite an amazing way how her character transforms again you learn a lot about people under stress there's lots of little character lessons that sounds uh, through this film is there anything uniting it all together mark apart from a 90 minute gunfight (laughs) yeah (laughs) there is there is a strong moral that runs through this and it's a familiar one you know without giving away the plot you know much like lock stock and two smoking barrels it doesn't matter how hard you try crime is a fool's game Um, and so if your own stupidity doesn't get you in the end, well, the universe is going to. Um, now, that's actually not a new lesson because the Bible's been saying a lot about the stupidity of fools and never prospering because they carry within them the seeds of their own destruction. So I, re- I love this line, and it really applies to this film. It's from Proverbs 18. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. And that's pretty much... <laughs> that's from Proverbs. <laughs> that's from Proverbs. It's actually not the subtitle of the film, but it should be. Uh, but that, However, the way that the Bible defines a fool is is quite different, okay? Because in our society, we think a fool is someone who, you know, just doesn't really get a real grip on life. Well, the Bible says a fool is someone who begins with this. A fool says there is no God. You know, and that's the most foolish thing. The most foolish thing is not walking into a room with a bunch of idiots with semi-automatic weapons and mouthing off. No, the most foolish thing is to start your day by going, ah, there is no God. Well, if you still fancy a look at what Free Fire offers... Uh, it opened in cinemas last week, Thursday, April 27. But be warned, it's rated MA 15 plus for strong violence and coarse language. So it's not for the faint hearted, but it certainly has a cast worth checking out. Uh, Shalto Copley, Cillian Murphy. Cillian Murphy's in Killian. this. Cillian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cillian Murphy. Cillian Murphy, go. Irish. From and Inception. Yes. And uh, Brie Larson as well. Noah Taylor. Noah Army Taylor's Hars. in this. Noah Taylor. Australia's own Noah Taylor. Yes, the well-known and Noah Taylor. Army Hammer as and well. Army <laughs> Hammer. From The Lone Ranger, you might remember. Uh, And a stack more as well. Now, gentlemen, um, I'm trying to think of a link between Free Fire and what I'm about to say next, and I can't really, so I'm just going to say it. Insights magazine and website really love the big picture. Insights.uca.org.au. Go over there and check out their stuff because there might be a review of Free Fire on there. There might also be a review of all kinds of other movies and TV shows. Matthews over at Insights has done a review. There's my link. There we go. Uh, The reviewers over at Insights who often appear on our show, Russ Matthews, Adrian Drayton, their stuff's over at insights.uca.org.au. Check it out. And also, now for something completely different on the Insights website right now, refugees in suburban Sydney are being cared for by local groups such as Bankstown District Uniting Church. That is just one story that's got nothing to do with Free Fire that's <laughs> over at insights.uca.org.au. Coming up on The Big Picture, The Case for Christ, the verdict on the new movie, and we interview a local author about his own investigation into Jesus' empty tomb. 
Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Well, Ben is about to review the case for Christ, but before he does, we're going to be joined by Kel Richards, a well-known Australian author, journalist and broadcaster. We've got Kel on the line right now for a special press record segment as we re- explore one of his books, The Case of the Vanishing Corpse. Sounds like it might share some important similarities with Lee Strobel's evidence-based book. And we've got to say hello to Kel. G'day, g'day, g'day. How hey, are you guys? Great, thanks, mate. And thanks very much for being part of the show. Now, look, I've read The Case of the Vanishing Corpse. I can't tell you how long ago because it would just show exactly how old oh, I you're am. making me feel so young. Thank <laughs> you for that. Mate, what is The Case of the Vanishing Corpse about for those people who don't know your book? Okay. What I've done is something similar to what Lee Strobel does. Uh, both books have the word case uh, in the title because they are both investigations as of a case, like a criminal case or a mysterious case or whatever. In Lee Lee Strobel's case, uh, he was doing a non-fiction account of his search for whether the evidence for the resurrection exists. In my case, I wrote it as fiction. I said to myself, what would it be like if, in the first century, there were private eyes, and a private eye, a private detective, was asked to investigate the evidence for the resurrection? So I use a fictional framework, he uses a non-fictional framework. But the other big difference is our starting points. I started as a believer, believing that the resurrection was true and assembling the evidence for what I believed. When he started the process, he was an unbeliever. His wife had become a Christian. He was outraged and started investigating Christianity. And in the process of that, he was converted. Uh, So then, as a man who's a new believer, who's just been converted by the evidence, he sits down and conducts the investigation, which he records in the case for Christ. The interesting thing is, it's the third time this has happened. I can think of three occasions when someone started out as a non-Christian, an unbeliever, investigated the evidence, and at the end of the investigation was a believer. Lee Strobel is one of them. Uh, A British journalist used to write under the name of Frank Morrison and wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? His story is identical. He started out as an unbeliever, investigated the resurrection, and then wrote a book proving it was true. The other guy is a guy named Lou Wallace. He was a governor and a general in America, and he, he made a bet with someone in a railway carriage he could prove the resurrection never happened, did the investigation, was converted, and he wrote a novel called Ben-Hur. So it's really interesting, and, and, and the story of how that happens is what's in Lee Strobel's book, and I presume what's in the movie. Yeah, now I've got to say that the case of the vanishing corpse is a fantastic in for people who think, you know, I'm not the sort of person who will sit down and read, you know, the, the facts, so to speak, like uh, Lee Strobel's account. Is, is a very factual account, a very historical account, but yours is just downright entertaining and yet informative. Is that why you wrote the book, to actually help people who had nothing about the topic in their head to, to learn about it? Exactly, exactly. You've nailed it. It's meant to be a very entertaining read. Private detective stories are great fun to read. Uh, my book is fun to read, sparkling, bubbling dialogue, moves very fast. I, used to, I remember having conversations, and I've had this conversation a number of times with guys who teach uh, uh, Christian theology and religion in, in schools, and they say it's great for when kids hit about 15, because at about 15 the brain stops working for a while, they said, uh, and this is the perfect book. When your brain has stopped working, this is the book that is so easy to read and so much fun to read, and it's got so many bad dad jokes in it, that it's just really entertaining, and kids will read it, and they see the point. They see that in the midst of all that sort of fast-paced 
storytelling and, and dialogue and action and everything. There are facts in there which are genuine facts. And that's your goal, isn't it? That you actually really want people to latch onto the facts at the end about Jesus' death and resurrection. That's right. That's right. It's not all. And in fact, at the very end of the book, there is a little couple of pages that says conduct your own investigation because that's where it's heading to. Okay, so is there a movie anytime soon? <laughs> would, would you believe... Years ago, 20-odd years ago, someone actually optioned the movie rights. But lots and lots of books get optioned and never turned into movies, and this is one of them. Oh, well, mate, maybe, maybe yet. Okay, thanks very much for spending time on The Big Picture, Kel. My pleasure, mate. The Case for Christ is one of the biggest Christian bestsellers on the planet. Released back in 1998 and selling more than 10 million copies around the world, journalist Lee Strobel's personal investigation into evidence for Jesus is now a movie. Many viewers are wary of anything labelled Christian and movie, so how does The Case for Christ stack up on screen? If somebody wanted to do an investigation into Christianity, where would you start? If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, it's a house of cards. You sure you want to give me that loaded gun? I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to pull the trigger. I've spent my entire career as a journalist uncovering the truth. Until the day my wife presented me with the biggest story of my life. I'm not going to lose my wife and my kids to something that I can't even reason with. And what happened next changed me forever. To help anyone who's not one of the 10 million out there or so, or probably more than that, that have read a copy of Lee Strobel's Case for Christ, the Case for Christ movie is based around Lee Strobel's personal investigation into Jesus. It's set in 1980 when Lee Strobel was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And around his investigation into the claims of the Christian faith. He's also involved in a number of different uh, cases, and one in particular that he's covering, a story he's covering about a, a prisoner involved in sort of some dodgy cor a cop corruption scenario. Uh, and then there's also what's going on in his family life as well happening at the same time. So the Case for Christ builds all, brings all these strands together. It's not just interviews that he's doing with boffins about evidence and history and stuff. Yeah, actually, it sounds, in fact, to be honest, it looks really amazing. Did you think it was any good? Did it stack up as a Christian film? Mate, I thought it did. It definitely stacks up as a Christian film because I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I hear about Christian films, I tend to get a bit wary and I slumped into the cinema going to this one. I, like, I didn't think actually the trailer looked that good. I didn't think... You, I, came, I read, in, you came in two minutes late. I even came in two minutes late. <laughs> I, the, the, the case for Christ, I've read the book, I really liked it, but I thought, how's this going to go as a movie? What I was really wary about and what the film doesn't do, which is fantastic, is it doesn't preach at you from the screen, which so many Christian films do do, which is, is fine and is okay in terms of... I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with Christians making movies where they want to share the good news of Jesus and they want people to do something with that. But one of the things that The Case for Christ really picks up on is you don't need to have like a sermon up on screen. You don't need someone to stand there and talk directly to the audience and kind of effectively call them to the front to give their life to Jesus or something like that. Instead, what The Case for Christ does is present evidence, not just of what Jesus claimed and, and the history around Jesus and evidence for him, but also evidence of the difference that investigating Jesus has made in one person's life, which is the case of Lee Strobel. And as we heard in uh, when we were interviewing Kel Richards just before, 
as he said about Lee Strobel, he was an atheist and was trying to disprove the claims of Christianity, which is why he did this interview, this series of interviews. It's incredible that you're watching this guy be affected by what he's looking into, and he's so against it as he goes through it, mm. and so challenged by it at the same time. But it's not just uh, like if you're like a dry theological investigation. No, um, it, it, this is all wrapped up in his marriage too. Yeah, it's another this, thing that has I really. Impact. It's another thing I really liked about the case for Christ. I'm so I'm so pleasantly surprised at how much I liked this movie. It's a strong film. Everything from the scripting to the acting to the look and feel of it actually comes together really well, which is a massive surprise for Christian movies, including. Including the fact that they build this storyline through the, the really the storyline of this isn't him on this the interviews it's he, the, the situation of, of Lee Strobel and his wife Leslie and their marriage uh, Leslie becomes a Christian Lee is definitely not down with that hates that really and goes to seek to disprove it but we actually see what happened in their relationship at the time and I think there's going to be a, there should be a big impact made upon viewers of the film Again, not just for all the stuff swelling up around Jesus and Christianity, but about the situation that this couple finds themselves in when one comes to believe something so strongly, Leslie, that it's changing the way she lives. And her husband, who thinks he knows his wife, all of a sudden feels like he doesn't, feels like he's shut out of things, feels like she, and she's it also feels like she's believing in nonsense too. So watching a couple deal with that up on screen is rich drama. Like, it's just, it's like straight up drama. I think that's, again, one of the excellent things that the Case for Christ, the team behind it, have recognized in the movie. You can make a strong story out of people investigating Christianity. You don't have to stand up there and yell at me about how Jesus is the truth and mm. come to Jesus. Mm. What do you think a film like this might achieve, Ben? Um, I'm not entirely sure, chaps, and I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on this, where you think it might go. Look, I think it could go in a whole bunch of different directions. The Case for Christ book that Lee Strobel wrote has affected thousands, maybe millions of people across the planet. Who really knows? Uh, last week on the show, we played an interview with Lee Strobel that I got to do where Lee Strobel himself was explaining what he would hope this movie would do is what his book's done, which is push people in the direction of Jesus. Or Sorry, prod them, like guide them towards hope that they're, through an intellectual pursuit of Jesus, they might come into more of a faith relationship with him. I hope all those things might happen. But do you guys think if what I'm saying is true, that this Christian movie is actually a good movie, do you think what it might achieve is encouraging Christians to invite unashamedly mm. and and comfortably their friends to go and see this movie? Do you think that could happen? Yeah, look, I think one of the benefits of this film is that it's going to... It, look, even if it doesn't convince people in and of itself, which is a brilliant story to watch mm. and it's entertaining... And it's not trying to convince yeah, people. But even if it doesn't like move somebody through the same journey that Lee Strobel went through, the truth is it will destabilise disbelief. Because there's a lot of assumptions about um, uh, Christianity being based on fairy tales and faith being, you know, checking your mind at the door that, that underpin the way that people talk about religion in society today. And this film just knocks the legs out of, mm. from under it. You can't actually say that, that that Christianity is a mindless thing when you have such a clear investigation going on in mm. front of you. And it's great to be part of the experience of watching someone investigate all that and come to a conclusion themselves. Great movie. Mm. The Case for Christ stars Mike Vogel, uh, Erica Christensen and Faye Dunaway. It's rated PG for mild themes and occasional coarse language. And it opens at cinemas on Thursday and we reckon you should go and see it. Indeed. Now coming up on the big picture, the best Christian film you've never seen and Ben will make a public confession. What are the top five movies he has never seen and knows that he really should have? 
Welcome back. Well, before the break, Ben raved on about how good the case for Christ was is. was a little bit ravey, wasn't it? It but was ravey. Really Has there been any money under the table? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I'm... I'm Clean, like pure ninety-nine percent above board. Snow. Okay, that's yeah. okay. Well, for the vault this week, we are sticking with that positive vibe with Insights managing editor Adrian Drayton bringing us his pick for the best Christian film you've never seen. It's probably the best Christian film a lot of people haven't seen, but it's one of my favourite films. It's called The Apostle from nineteen ninety-seven. It's a bit of a passion project for Robert Duval, who wrote, directed, and did all the financing for it. It's about a southern preacher, uh, Texas preacher, basically, who... And to stop you at that point, he also stars as this Texan preacher, doesn't he? He does. He stars as Sonny, who's a Texas preacher. He has a bit of a misstep. I won't reveal too much about it because I think it's really worth seeing. At the beginning of the film, and actually escapes to Louisiana to a small worship community where he kind of... His faith is enlivened and he enlivens the community in the process. I think for me, the really great thing about the film, it's one of my favourite films actually, is it's a Christian film that actually talks about a flawed human who is sin here, you know, he, he makes mistakes and he seeks redemption and he, he's transformed by the experience of working in the, in the community. Of course, the authorities have to catch up with him at some point and I think the great thing about the film is the level of forgiveness you give him is kind of up to the, the, the viewer to some degree. Well, Adrian, uh, this is a really impressive and unexpected choice. I wasn't sure exactly what you were going to say, which movie you were going to pick, but The Apostle is a is a really good call. Do you know if it's readily available at the moment? Do you know if you can find it on streaming or JB Hi-Fi or wherever people get movies now? I think you can definitely find it, find it at JB Hi-Fi. I'm not sure about streaming services. I've actually got a copy of it myself. So, oh, so people can give you a call and, yeah. and come and borrow it from you. Yeah, yeah they can do that. That's fine. <laughs> Is the forgiveness aspect that you were just talking about, about how this film incredibly leaves, leaves the amount of forgiveness, for want of a better expression, up to the viewer. Is that the thing that lingers with you about The Apostle? No, the thing that lingers for me is it's actually a really true depiction of somebody who wrestles with their faith. It's not a kind of pat answers Christian film. It doesn't preach to the converted. It's just a very real film about a man who's really wrestling with his faith, but also uh, it's about, you know, guilt and grace. And Robert Duvall himself was very passionate about it. At the time, he was interviewed a lot about it, and he, was, he seems to have a very strong faith himself and was really adamant that this story be told. So it was, it's a really fantastic film that I can recommend to everybody. And speaking of good Christian stories, we'd actually like to point you towards Eternity News, particularly Eternity Newspaper this week. Eternity is a great supporter of the show. And in fact, The Case for Christ is one of their major features written by none other than our own Ben. Uh, yeah, he speaks I got with, to speak with Lee Strobel the other week. And the article, the long version of it, is in the May edition of Eternity Newspaper. So enjoy that. It's out now. Grab a copy or read the interview at eternitynews.com.au. Always the best segment of the week, the top five. It's time. And we never take that personally, Sam, about the rest of the show that's come before no, no, this no, no, point. No, 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 it's all. It's getting better and it's, better. It just gets it's, better and it's better. It's the climax. Yes. And then we have to wait another seven days for the next climax in that segment, the top five. <laughs> so, Ben, you've got an interesting one for us this week. Yeah, look, we just heard from Adrian telling us about the best Christian film you've never seen. Well, that got us thinking about films that we haven't seen, and we're all film TV reviewers in this 
room and so often you're so expected... we can be honest to so each other we can be honest with each other um this is just between us uh often people expect because of what you do for a job that you've pretty much seen everything ever that you just mm. that there is no movie that someone could raise and you, and you go oh yeah I haven't seen that or TV show too or TV show yeah. that's right which you know actually is a lot of things and it, and and that's just not humanly possible I don't think to see everything so for our top five this week I thought I would publicly embarrass myself by sharing with all of us the top five films I haven't actually seen five. I was looking on the top movies of all time box office list. If you go to Box Office Mojo, you can find this list. This is basically the movies that made the most money in the history of ever around the world. Right? <laughs> okay. The first movie that I found on that list that I hadn't seen comes in at number nine, Frozen. $1.2 billion wow. that movie took in 2013, and I haven't seen it. How did you dodge that? I don't, yeah, a, that's a big right. shout out also goes to the Lego movie. Haven't seen that. Oh, what? what? <laughs> so it was a big competition between Lego movie and Frozen, but I picked Frozen because it actually like is higher on the list. And I think, is Frozen about, is it two sisters? And they're in a like a, a snowy wonderland, mm-hmm. and there's a snowman. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a song that people like singing called "Let It Go" or oh, "Shake It Off" or I'm, something like that. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then off. maybe shake uh, it off. Does like does it work out in the end? Like, I, I, <laughs> what what I I haven't I don't even know what Frozen's about. All I can remember is saying to my wife, "Let it go, let it go." <laughs> Yeah, so I've disappointed uh, many of my friends who have kids that come to me for an opinion on kids' movies. And when Frozen was around, it was like every second conversation. Um, so I just got a little bit tired of. So I just dodged it in the end. You I, did I well. Just, I just like would walk off to morning tea uh, <laughs> and just not even answer their question at that point. <laughs> just hand them one point <laughs> two billion dollars, and none of them from Ben McKechnie's wallet. <laughs> Four. There was a little movie that came out in 1990 you might like to call Dances with Wolves. Whoa. Haven't seen it. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. And this is back in like classic Kevin Costner days. The 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 top of the... Pre-Waterworld. The, the, the pre-Waterworld. <laughs> like when, when Kevin Costner was at like kind of peak of his powers. I saw a lot of other Kevin Costner movies around that time. Like, Did you see Waterworld? Like Jay- I saw Waterworld. <laughs> I saw. I, I did see Waterworld. That's a very good point. I saw JFK. I saw some of the good ones. JFK, The Untouchables. I actually really quite like Waterworld. But I don't know what I think of Dancing with Wolves because I haven't actually seen it, even though this film very famously was directed by, produced by, starred Kevin Costner. It won seven Oscars. Best Picture, I think, Best Actor. I think I'm I'm not really sure after that point because I didn't see it, so I haven't paid much attention to Dancing with Wolves, which is such a hugely famous movie about a U.S. Um, uh, Army lieutenant who travels to the American frontier and finds a military post and, he, and then starts dealing with Indians. I'm reading this off a of Wikipedia summary <laughs> because I haven't actually seen it. I shall lend you my collector's edition. It's probably I've, the best thing Kevin Costner has ever done. I presumed you probably did have a copy. Sam probably does as well. I dare say you both see You haven't seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, Ray, wow. Phew. Yeah, but you are young. I started to feel <laughs> young. I was young when it came out, yes. I'm starting yes. to feel slightly better about myself until I announce that. Three. Haven't seen Babe. Oh! oh! Haven't seen Are Babe. You Australian? Am I Australian? As I was, as I was thinking this through, of what? I've got to know. Have you not seen Babe? But have you used the tagline "That'll do, pig"? No. Oh, no. Okay. Well, yeah, that Come would be on. really I, wrong. I couldn't. I couldn't possibly do that if I haven't. If I haven't seen the movie, Man. I could have tried to dazzle you in this list with all kinds of um, fancy movies. Or, you know, like directors' names. Like I haven't seen all the back catalogue of Alfred Hitchcock or Stanley Kubrick. Or you could start going into 
of French or German or Italian movies to start, start sounding smart, even though I haven't seen these movies, if I could list them off and tell you that I know I should have seen them, I'd, I'd really sound amazing as I explain to you that I haven't actually seen them. You still think better of me, I think. Yeah. Then I get to Babe, and like, no wonder you're laughing wow. at me. I can't believe it either. It's been 20 years. No, more than that, 20 years. And I haven't seen this little movie about a pig. It wants to be a sheepdog, right? Mm. Is that what that is? Did you end up seeing Babe 2? Is that the pig one? In, no. Pig in no. the City? That is a scary film. Actually, that is, I, is it frighteningly I, I, no, haven't even bad and scary. haven't even touched this franchise. Um, I Like Frozen, Like I'm not quite sure how I missed the boat on, on this at the, at, at the time. They're singing mice in this movie as well. Is that right? There are. I think I've, I think I've seen bits of that. Even though it's from the director of The Mad Max franchise, George Miller, who I really quite like a lot of the Mad Max, even that didn't propel me into, what could George Miller do with a singing pig? <laughs> nope, I still haven't stumped you know up and I watched say, Babe. Do you know what I say to people who say to me, why haven't you seen that? I say I'm a reviewer. No one paid me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two. Okay, it was a tussle between this, like whether this is going to get number one or not. And a special mention at this point goes to the Green Mile that Tom oh, Hanks uh, wow. prison movie. Because I was going through IMDb, Internet Movie Database, top 250 list. And the first movie I came to that I hadn't seen was at number 36. That's The Green Mile, 999. So go back yeah, to the yeah. bit where I'd seen the 35 yeah, before. Yeah, the 220 right. that and came then the before. Other, that. And then the 200 and whatever that come after that. Okay, all right. That gets a special mention. But I don't think that's quite as embarrassing as, as admitting as a film reviewer, a film lover, someone who knows better than this, I haven't seen The Great Escape. The Steve McQueen, 963, one of the most famous World War II, Prisoner of War, breakout movies. Haven't seen it. I've seen bits of it. You know, like the bit where he jumps the fence on his motorbike. So it won't spoil it for you to hear that <laughs> to hear he, what, he what doesn't happens, actually escape. To, to hear what happened. Thanks for ruining Spoiler it for me. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh. Gee whiz. Um, I, look, I've seen other war movies. I think there's, there's plenty of other war movies I haven't actually watched either. And, you know, the longer time elapses, I'm sure some people have never even heard of The Great Escape. But I think if you're a person who claims that they love movies and they're deep into the history of them and they've seen all these amazing films that people talk about left, right and centre, and that's also... Well, at least used to be on on TV every Sunday afternoon. It seemed like every week for like 20 or 30 years. I had plenty of opportunities. It would come on and you go, time to play. But I did not see The Great Escape. But I don't think that's quite as embarrassing as... One. Haven't seen Titanic. Oh, I'm sorry. Have not seen Titanic. I'll be over here. Um, Mark Hadley's leaving the room. Yeah. I should be somewhere else. Please explain. Yeah, so... Um, I should have mentioned right at the start when I said Frozen's at number nine on the on the list of all time like you know highest earners. Mm. And when I was looking at that list, I had actually seen all the others. I hadn't. I hadn't seen number two. Titanic took two point one billion dollars, none of which was from me. I <laughs> I missed the boat on Titanic. Oh, Thank you very much. Uh, Although I should say I've seen parts of it. I've actually seen I think maybe an hour of it, hour and a half. But the first hour and a half, not the quote unquote good bit where all the special effects come in and the boat's sinking, where people get really immersed in the action that's actually happening. Instead, I've seen the boring hour where Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet are looking at each other lovey-dovey across what, the different classes. Happened? Did your phone ring? And then my interest just sank. You, you just left? Uh, you said, I, 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 I didn't even go to the cinema. I just, I'm what like, could possibly no. happen after this point, you said? No. You're on a ship that's going to sink and you left before. But look, uh, it feels nice to get this off my chest to admit that I haven't seen <laughs> these, these kind of movies as I was thinking about this. I was really thinking, what's the conclusion I can come to on this? All I can think of is it actually doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that I haven't seen Titanic, The Great Escape. Like, like, you know, I can invest all my time in all these kind of other things, but shouldn't I just be really thinking more deeply about what's more important in life, not worrying too much about what I haven't seen? Your heart will go on. <laughs> <laughs> we go full ahead! 
put your backs into it! Got everything I need right here with me. I figure life's a gift, and I don't intend on wasting it. You never know what hand you're gonna get dealt next. You learn to take life as it comes at you. When the ship docks, I'm getting off with you. Wow, what a revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Titanic. you're welcome. More revelations coming next week. I Absolutely. So. Next week on the show, animals, animals, animals. Yes, we've got animals. Including a pooch searching for meaning in a dog's purpose. <laughs> Can't wait for that. <laughs> and a real-life zookeeper and major new screen drama, The Zookeeper's Wife. I will still be Ben McKeckin next week. And I'll be Mark Hadley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 